The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. All right, good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here. Uh, welcome to people at home live streaming with us too. Great to have everybody here, people in the atrium. Hi to you guys too. So um, if you happen to be sitting next to a junior high, junior high or high school student today and they seem especially stiff and tired, they were skiing all day yesterday, so they get an excuse. Keep them awake though, don't let them fall asleep uh, during the message, okay? So heard they had a great time. You guys had an awesome day to ski too. It's beautiful, it's awesome. So uh, glad you're here. We are starting a seven-week series. We're calling it God's Design, and we're going to talk about a lot of really exciting things that God has provided for us in our lives, a lot of really exciting topics that are fun to talk about. Uh, these topics can also be, uh, in our culture today, they can be controversial, they can be inflammatory at times, they can be divisive, um, and so that's not going to be our intent in any way. We just want to make sure we are listening to what God has said about these things. We want to understand what God's design is for uh, these different topics. So things like relationships and marriage and sexuality and parenting and gender and homosexuality and how we identify ourselves. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of big ones we're talking about in the weeks ahead. And so what we're doing this morning is kind of framing our conversation and our discussion in the weeks to come. I'll just tell you up front, we're going to go a little long today, and I think you'll see why, so buckle in, we'll try to keep it moving. Uh, but to say that our world is changing today uh, pretty quickly on a lot of these key topics in our worldview is, is an understatement. It's kind of like saying the Pope is kind of Catholic, okay? So let me give you an example. Uh, just this week in Alberta, Canada, um, there was a CBC article uh, about the education minister there. His name is David Egan, and he's advising educators throughout Alberta uh, that students from elementary school all the way up through high school have the right to self-identify when it comes to their gender identity and expression. So these are elementary students through high school students who are going to be able to choose for themselves within the next couple months, it was kind of his edict, within the next couple months, each child needs to be able to identify these questions, answer these questions however they want to. One is, uh, what name would you like to be called when you're at school? Which pronouns would you like to refer to you? Um, which restroom would you like to use? Uh, which team would you like to play on, the boys' team or the girls' team? And when you play in those sports, which locker room would you prefer uh, to use? And so um, there, there are changes uh, coming. There are changes happening all around us. And I think if there's some common threads we're going to see to a lot of these topics we're talking about in the next few weeks, is that really what lies at the heart of them are a lot of basic questions like, who are we? Or what is our identity? Or how can I truly find fulfillment in life? Just some of the basic questions in life. And again, there's going to be things in this series that are going to require some courage on our parts uh, and some humility on our parts just to really lean in and listen to what God is really saying uh, to us. And uh, I need to say, out of these seven, I'll be doing four of them. I'll just play the card right up front. I am not a perfect man. I am not a perfect father or husband. In fact, if there's a unifier wherever, and I don't know everybody here, I don't know everybody's background, I don't know what you've done or, or what you believe on these different topics, but there are a couple things that unite every one of us as in every one of these topics in the weeks ahead. And there's two things that unite us. First is, is that we are all sinners in need of grace. Like there's not a perfect man, woman, family, boy, girl, child, whatever, in this room. Okay, we are all 
sinners who desperately need the grace of God. And I'll put myself in the front of that line, okay? And here's the second one, is that we are all people who have been created by and deeply loved by an almighty God. And he's a God who has a plan and a design for us. And he's a God who loves to share that with us. And then in the places in our lives where we have rejected that, he is a God who is patient and who is gracious and he longs to bring us back into that place where we see him as our loving creator. And it longs to bring us into that place where we follow his design, not out of coercion, um, but out of, out of love for him. So that's where we're headed in all of these topics. Let me pray. And um, this may have been a mistake this morning, but we're going to do a quick survey, okay, of a lot of these topics. So pray for me, pray for you to stay awake, and we'll hit it hard, okay? So here we go. So Father, I thank you for those truths I just shared that unite all of us, that um, in spite of our sin, every one of us in this room is deeply loved by you. And you have designed us, you have created us, and you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. I pray that those truths would sink in over these seven weeks. And as we discuss these various topics, Lord, keep us humble, keep us um, open to what you want to say, and give us the courage to trust you and follow you. God, would you, would you do an amazing work as we talk about these topics in my life, in our lives, in our families, and throughout this church, throughout this community. In your great name we pray, amen. All right, so we're going to start. There's an outline in your bulletin. You can follow along from that if you have a Bible or you want to use a Bible app on your phone or your device. Very easy verse to find this morning. Genesis 1.1, first verse in the Bible, okay? What we're going to do this morning is kind of do an overview of the story of the Bible. And as people have told and tried to summarize the story of the Bible, sometimes that summary can fall under three banners, creation, fall, and then... Um, Redemption, creation, fall, redemption. That's, we're going to navigate that this morning to kind of frame our conversation over the next several weeks on those key topics. Genesis 1-1 is where just about as simple and as boldly as you can say, uh, the Bible begins with the statement, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's the very first sentence in the Bible. There is a God, there is a creator, this world, our lives, are not here just by random chance. There is a purpose, there is a plan, there is a creator, okay? There's a purpose, there's a design to life, and there's a, de a design to this uni universe. You know, and there, even since the times of the Bible, there have been people that have said, there is no God. Even Psalm 14 talks about, you know, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. All the way through uh, the history of humanity, there have been people that have rejected God. There is no God. But what's been interesting in the last I'd say decade or two, is that as our ca capacity in science to both see the immensity of this creation as well as the detail and the intricacies as we get smaller and smaller, have led many in the science world to see that there has to be a designer to all of this. This amazing complexity in design points to a designer. One of the most public ones, uh, kind of a conversion you could say, from there is no God, we're here by chance, to now we're here by design. Uh, was Anthony Flew, the British philosopher, who for many years wrote and lectured just boldly about there can be no God, there is no God, we don't need God, we're here by chance. And yet, towards the end of his life, particularly it was the Human Genome Project, the complexity of the human DNA, that led him to conclude that there is no way that happened by chance. In fact, there was one discussion that especially impacted him, and somebody was just throwing out the odds of 
uh, all of something complex happening by chance. And the analogy they used was a bunch of monkeys uh, on typewriters just randomly pecking out words, and then by chance, what would the odds be that those monkeys could write a Shakespearean sonnet? You know, and so somebody came up with the number there that the odds of that happening, I don't know who does this, or maybe you can explain to me later, was 10 to the 690th power. Like, that's a massive number. And they said, well, that would be the odds of that just happening by chance. And uh, the, the, the person that responded to that in the lecture where Anthony Flew was, was a, was a physicist who was a creationist. And he made the point that of all known particles in the whole universe is 10 to the 80th. So if the odds of a bunch of monkeys writing a Shakespearean sonnet, 10 to the 690th, in all known particles, there's only 10 to the 80th, led Flew to conclude this. He said, if the theorem won't work for a single sonnet, then of course it's simply too absurd to suggest that the, most elaborate, that the more elaborate feat of the origin of life could have, could have been achieved by chance. He said, there's just no way this could happen by chance. Wherever there's a code, somebody has designed that code. And so the Bible kind of saves us a lot of time instead of just exploring that and stumbling on that later in life. The Bible just says, okay, look, God created the heavens and the earth. There is a creator. And so bottom line, there's a design to our lives. There's a purpose. There's a meaning behind why we're here. We're not just a random collection of molecules that just happen to come together as a random uh, you know, result of chance. And so, but there's something in us that doesn't like that. Okay, we, we kind of like to be the point. Like, we like, we like it to be about us. Uh, we don't like to acknowledge there might be somebody greater than us, somebody who knows more than us, somebody we might have to answer to. Uh, we don't like that, something naturally within us. But when you understand and you continue to read about the God of the Bible, the creator God, you'll see that this God loves us, that he does have a design for us, and this God loves to communicate rules and principles and teaching for us uh, to live wisely. I could tell you story after story of things that I've purchased without acknowledging the owner's manual and things that I've ended up needing to redo or things I've screwed up because I didn't read the owner's manual. And so in very similar ways, God's teaching and his rules for us are designed to, um, to help us know how we're designed to run. We are, in some, in some descriptions, a human machine that God has designed and he is the fuel we're designed to run on. And he, through his word and his teaching, show us how we work best. And so um, book of Proverbs in Proverbs 16.25 kind of shows where we like to go on all that. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, its way is death. Like that's our natural bent. We'd rather just kind of figure it out and do it our way. When really the wise thing to do is like what David said in Psalm 16.11, where he says, God, you make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So our tone in this series has got to be, okay, God, what do you say about sex? Your paths, your teachings lead to life and to joy. God, what do you say about family? What do you say about marriage? What do you say about, uh, about love and what love really is? And so that's going to be our bent in this series is that we have a creator and there is a plan and there is a purpose, and he's going to give us direction for how we are designed to run, okay? So uh, the other thing we see in the human, in the biblical narrative of creation, fall, redemption, is that we are image bearers. That God, isn't, God created heavens and earth, but as you continue to read in Genesis 1, you'll notice there's a rhythm. It says God created this, and it was good. God created this, and it was good. You get to the end of the chapter, and there's a break in that rhythm. And so in Genesis 1.26... It says, then God said, so there's a break from that pattern. Then God said, let us make man 
in our image after our likeness. Okay, so just pause there for a second. We're introduced now into a conversation within the Godhead. This is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, perfect relationship with each other, perfect love. Now discussing the next part of creation that's to come. And it continues, let us create man in our image and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And as you continue to read on at the end of Genesis 1, God's conclusion is that this is very good. So in a sense, like the, the creation of man and woman is God's exclamation point. We are the crown jewel of his creation. I'm not just saying that as a homer, you know, because I am a human, like, yeah, us. You know, like it's, it's in there. It's in the text, legitimate. It's not like Bronco fans going, go Broncos, me going, go humans. It's like, it's just in the text that, that the pinnacle of God's creation is man, woman, bearing his image uniquely out of all of creation. How many of you have animals in your house? And you know it, like the, the domesticated kind that you've invited into your home, okay? So um, we have a dog. We tend to be dog people, and um, we have a dog named Bubba. He's a black lab. Uh, we had questions about his intelligence, but as he's getting older, actually, he's starting to catch up a little bit. But uh, you'll notice, so Bubba, let's just contrast Bubba and me, for example. So both created by God. Uh, I'm the image bearer, Bubba is not, okay? So um, there are some similarities we have as being created by God. We see, we run, we like to eat, uh, we like to sleep, we like to play ball. Okay, so there's some similarities we have there, but you'll also notice uh, there's a lot of differences, I hope. You would notice quickly that there's some, he slobbers more than I do, some things like that. He eats out of the bowl, he drinks out of the toilet, things like that, so that hopefully you don't see me doing, but... Um, But even when you get to the spiritual side, like I think one of the key components of being created in the image of God is that God has created us uniquely uh, to relate to him. So I have never caught Bubba like having a quiet time or like dropping down on his knees and front paws up, like worshiping God. I've never seen Bubba concerned about his mom, like how's how's mom doing these days, you know? Or I don't see Bubba fasting unless one of the kids misses their routine of filling his bowl. Like he, his his fasts are not... um, on his own volition, okay? So they just kind of are imposed on him. But that's, that's kind of Bubba's story right there. That, um, but, but on the other hand, we as people created in God's image uh, are unique from all this creation, that God created us uniquely to know him, to cry out to him, to experience him, to be loved by him. And, and this gives everyone in this room, that gives every person that you rub shoulders with in the week to come amazing dignity and value and worth. Out of all of God's creation, we are the crown jewel. Every person on this planet is created in the image of God. In Psalm 8, David was responding to that. And he must have been having one of those moments where he was in God's creation and just was blown away. I don't know if you saw the moon rise last night, like that full moon. It was awesome. It was beautiful. Like one of those moments where you see God's creation, David was writing Psalm 8. And he said, oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And in the middle of the psalm, he talks about, when I consider the work of your fingers, the sun, the moon, the stars, he says, and then I consider us, how, Lord, can you even be mindful of us? Like, so blown away at God's greatness, but yet of God's care and his mindfulness, his love for us. That's, that's where this whole teaching of you being created in the image of God should take you. Your life has amazing dignity and worth and value because God has created you uh, with his image stamped on you, okay? 
Now, if you go to Genesis chapter 2, there's some other elements in uh, God's design that we're going to look at that are introduced in Genesis chapter 2, particularly uh, the concepts of marriage and sexuality. Okay, so in Genesis 2.18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The first thing that was not good about God's creation was that man was alone. If you look at uh, throughout Scripture, uh, one of the things you'll just see continually elevated is the need for us to have relationship in our lives. We're creating the image of God. Remember, God is three in one. God is a relational God. God was built for community within the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so as men and women created in his image, we also have been wired to need relationship in our lives. And so you'll see that throughout the lives, throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament where we're called, you know, as the church, uh, to love one another, to serve one another, uh, like 41 another's through the New Testament, talking about our need for relationship. Well, one of the relationships that uh, is, is spotlighted in Genesis 2 is the marriage relationship. And so it's interesting as you, and we're going to do a whole sermon on that in about four weeks, I think. So, but the whole, uh, some of the main points you pick up this morning is that, is that marriage uh, mainly was, you know, one of the main purposes was for intimacy. It was not good that man was alone. So marriage is meant to be uh, an intimate relationship. I like the phrase there too, that I will make him a helper fit for him. In other words, if you looked at the Hebrew language, it means this this woman is a perfect match, a perfect fit for him. And the nuance there is that so that together they'll be able to serve God. They'll be able to work for God. Work is a joy. The, the opportunity to serve God, to use our gifts, is a gift from God. And so one of the blessings of marriage is that God is giving you a teammate who balances you, who has strengths that you don't have, and that together you can serve him better than you could alone. And so that's one of the purposes of marriage. It's also within the teaching of marriage that we're introduced to sexuality. Uh, the statement in Genesis 1 is that the man and woman should be fruitful and multiply so that they should have, have children. In Genesis 2, uh, you see the nuances there of being uh, naked and unashamed, of being one flesh. And so we're introduced uh, to sexuality in Genesis chapter 2. And the clear picture of God's design we see, and again, we'll talk about this in weeks to come, is that God's intention is that sex be between a man and woman within the context of marriage. And you'll see that theme repeated throughout. And so when Jesus talked about marriage, for example, and sexuality in Matthew 19, he just hook, line, and sinker. Same thing that God's plan was revealed in Genesis 2. When you see Paul talk about marriage and sexuality, same teaching. When you see Peter teaching about marriage uh, and purity, you see the same things. So God's standard throughout the Bible is sex is a gift from God for a man and woman within the context of marriage. And so you'll also see throughout the Bible that uh, to, to veer off from that plan is to step out of what God's plan for sex is. Uh, and so that can include adultery, that can include premarital sex, that can include uh, homosexuality, that can include pornography. And we'll talk again more a little bit more this morning and more in weeks to come. So, um, but that's the design we see from Genesis 2. Again, birthed in the fact that we have a God who loves us, a God who designed us, a God who sees man and woman as equal image bearers, a, a, a relationship that now is meant to provide intimacy, a, team, you know, a place where teammates can come together and serve him. 
and then where children can be birthed within the context of loving, committed relationship between husband and wife. Man, we are flying through some big stuff here, okay? So I'm going to say a couple things here. Uh, I did not mention singleness yet, and we're going to talk about that in the weeks ahead, that, that uh, marriage isn't like the A team, and everybody that's not married is on B team. Okay, that's not, you don't see that in the Bible, that, that singleness is elevated, that marriage is for some, that's in God's plan for some, but God has also designed some and wired some to, to live singly. You'll see Paul talking about that in 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, Jesus was single. Jesus was celibate throughout his life. He never had sex. And to some people in our society today, it's like, wait a minute, how can you possibly be fulfilled and not have sex? Like Jesus was by far the most fulfilled person that's ever walked this planet. And you look at what he accomplished in his relationship with his father. Uh, but yet, you know, we live in a culture, it feels like, okay, you need three things to survive. You need food, water, and sex. Like, how can you, how can you possibly be fulfilled and not have sex? It's because, like, our culture, I think, has elevated uh, sex way beyond um, what it can provide us and what it can satisfy us with, and we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. But, um, but bottom line, God just laid out these, these uh, patterns for us, this design for us as men, women, uh, created in his image, loved by him, uh, and then uh, the, the boundaries there for marriage and for sexuality. We'll, again, talk about those in the weeks to come. So as the Bible, the biblical narrative continues, you've got creation, but then the next kind of the sad chapter in our history is the fall, and that happens in, in Genesis chapter 3. This is when God was rejected, and we're going to start reading a few verses in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look specifically at three lies that the first man and woman were presented with, that caused them to reject God. And I think you'll notice that as we look at these lies, this isn't a history lesson of what happened to them. This is today reality of the same three temptations that will come your way at the start of every day, or even when you leave today and go home. These are three lies that you must confront on a daily basis. Okay, I'll start reading Genesis 3. Uh, this is the enemy speaking to Eve. And he says, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Okay, here's lie number one, is that God is holding out on you. That when God gives you a law or God gives us a standard, he's trying to steal your joy. He doesn't want you to have the really good stuff, and so he's, he's holding out on you. You cannot trust God, okay? That's lie number one. Do you hear that played in your head sometimes? Do you hear that in our culture or in our advertising today? That if you follow God, it's not gonna be worth it? Or if you really obey what the Bible says, you're kind of out of date, you're going to be missing out, you're going to be boring, all that kind of stuff. Okay, so that's lie number one. Okay, you go to verse two. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Okay, here's lie number two. That if you go off of God's design, if you do your thing instead of his, if you step into sin, it's no big deal. There are no consequences. That's lie number two. That it's no big deal to do your thing instead of God's. It'll work out. You're different. Uh, your scenario's fine. The Bible was written for 2,000 years ago. This is, you know, 2016. Do what you want. Do what you... So those lies are prevalent today just like they were then. You surely won't die. That was the lie. And then here's the big lie. But the serpent said to the woman, you sure not die. You surely will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Basically, the lie here is you can be God. You can do whatever you want. You can be the one to judge what is good and evil. 
what, what's best for you, go for it. That's the lie from the enemy. And, and trust me, there's something in our rebel heart that can embrace that very quickly. I'll do what I want to do. I'll do what makes sense to me. I've been to junior college. I've graduated from Iowa. I've got it all down. Like I know more than the creator God who's got this amazing plan. I'll do my thing instead of his thing. And that's um, the epitome of sin. That's the epitome of rejecting a loving God. And so the second point under the fall there is that now there is a shattered design, that God's design of us being his image bearers, of us reflecting his image and his character has been now completely shattered because of a rebelling against him. And that's amazingly devastating. So that whole posture that David was in in Psalm 8, Lord, how majestic is your name? How could a God as great as you love me? That once we sin, then that whole, that whole relationship is shattered. Instead of God being for us or God being the one we worship or look to to satisfy us and lead us and show us life, we're now on our own. It leads to fear and insecurity. So our source of security and significance lies in the fact that we're loved and created in the image of an almighty, loving, awesome God. But you kick that out and we have no security and no significance and we're left uh, to wander. And so then what breaks down is not just our relationship with God, but our relationship with other people. Instead of treating each other with the dignity that the image of God um, demands, we're now free to treat each other however we want to. When we worship God, we're really designed to worship God and love God, and out of that to serve people. But when you remove God from the God spot in your life, guess who takes his place right away? And that's, that's you and me. We fill that spot. And once we're in that position of worship, then we don't love and serve other people, we use them and we manipulate them to meet our needs. And you don't have to look far and very deep, maybe even our own lives, but definitely in our culture to see that there are many examples of abuse of other people, of just completely wiping aside that people have been created with dignity in the image of God. And so just the, the whole design has been shattered in that level as well. Let me just throw out a few. How about the whole topic of greed and poverty? You know, I think it's easy for our generation of followers of Christ to look back 150 years ago and there were people that called themselves Christians and owned slaves and to wag our heads at them and go, how could you have done that? And that, that was wrong, but we scold them. But I wonder if 150 years from now, if the next generation of believers is going to look back on us, particularly the American church, and say, how could you guys have had so much? How could you have had been so incredibly wealthy and done so little for the great, just horrific needs, not just in our country, but around the world. So greed and poverty. Um, what about racism, where just throughout human history, and even in our day, the powerful or the majority rise up and abuse the weak and the minority? Here's a, here's a key statement. I'm going to repeat it a couple of times. Where the image of God is not observed, the most vulnerable are abused and consumed. Okay, where the image of God is not observed, the most vulnerable are abused and consumed. And by and large, that abuse falls on women and on children, just historically. Um, I'm going to talk for a couple minutes here on the topic of abortion. Uh, we join with thousands of churches around our country that, that kind of focus on this Sunday to elevate the dignity of human, human life. This is not a topic I speak on lightly. I do not know everybody in this room. I do not know everybody's story in this room. I'll never forget one sermon I gave uh, on this topic of abortion. And in a time of closing prayer, I audibly heard sobs coming from around the room. Um, so I do not know 
um, your story or your past, um, I do know that we are in a room filled with sinners in need of grace, okay? Um, but we need to say some things here. Um, since Roe v. Wade was passed in our country in 1973, um, 57 million babies uh, have, been, have been aborted. And linking up the whole concept of racism and abortion together, what makes, and that's an incredibly horrific statistic, but what it really even magnifies it for me is how a largely disproportionate number of those children that have been aborted are from the African-American community um, the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta says that while the African-American population is only about 13% in our country, abortions uh, of African-Americans is around 36 to 40% in our country. 70% of Planned Parenthood clinics in our country are in um, impoverished neighborhoods. Um, it doesn't take much research to look at the, at, for example, Margaret Sanger, the start of Planned Parenthood, and see the clear links to eugenics uh, the, the attempts to, to, I hate to even say it, to just purge the undesirable from our, our culture. You do not have to dig. I wish those facts would be made more public. I wish we, we would know those things as a country. Uh, in New York City in 2014, there were 8,000 more African-American babies aborted than were born. Wherever the image of God is not, not observed, the most vulnerable are abused and consumed and by and large, this abuse falls on women and on children. We're going to go a little long this morning because I want you to hear uh, something I came across this week. I think is incredibly powerful. Um, write this name down. The man's name is John Rankin, R-A-N-K-I-N. And there's a paper he wrote called Women, women and Their Unborn. Um, he calls legalized human abortion a quintessentially male chauvinistic prerogative uh, if you go by Planned Parenthood's own research arm, uh, listen to some of these and connect some dots. 82% of women who will have an abortion are single. Of the remaining 18% uh, of women having abortions, so they're married, a large majority of those women um, became pregnant through adultery. And the other remaining percentage of uh, married women uh, seeking an abortion um, are currently under the threat of her husband leaving her. So linking those three things together, listen to some of these statements. Legalized abortion is more about license for men's sexual irresponsibilities than it is about a woman's right to choose. If the man were to be faithfully married to the woman, the consideration of abortion would be quite rare. Thus, human abortion assaults women's dignity. Also, this means that the protection of the unborn cannot happen apart from responsible men honoring women as their equals and complements. And this means chastity outside of marriage and fidelity with, within. I, 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 love, I love that. And what you hear there is a man pleading for us to return to the design of God, where men don't see women as, as objects for their own gratification, but where men see women as um, created in the image of God. And, and it's a call back to God's design for sexuality. I just love that perspective. I feel like so many times when abortion is raised that the guilt and shame is just leveraged almost completely on, on the pregnant mom. And I just, I just I love this challenge to men uh, in this church and in this country to be men who, who dignify women, who love women um, as being created in the image of God. Could I just um, 
I mean, I just got to, let me just pray before we move on on this one. So, Father, take those last few minutes and um, do, do what you need to with them. Um, I pray first, if anyone here, um, not understanding you or your design or in a minute of coercion or whatever, made that decision uh, to have an abortion, I pray, please, right now, overwhelm that woman, um, that man who may have been involved with your mercy and grace and love. Just wrap them up. God, with the truth we're going to be talking about hard in a couple minutes, that you're a God who loves us, a God who rescues. And God, I do pray for the men and women in this church to, to, to love you, to follow you. I pray that we would be uh, pure sexually. I pray that you would show us how to do this, that we would be teachable before you in these weeks ahead, that we truly would live out your design. But God, I just pray for our country that there would be, and I thank you that there are numbers trending the right direction in many places where the number of abortions are decreasing. But God, would there just be just a clear work of your spirit among your people and, and around our country, around this world, God, to defend the rights of the unborn. So thank you. Please hear us. In your great name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, hard to transition out of that, but that's... Um, it's clear when we, I'll just say it again, when the image of God is not observed, the most vulnerable are abused and are consumed. And let me just read, we're not going to have time to hit all of Romans 1 here, but if you have a Bible, turn to Romans 1, 26. Romans 1 really mirrors uh, Genesis 3 really well, and it shows what happens when we no longer worship God, but we worship ourselves. We don't seek God for our fulfillment and our worship, but we seek things from this creation to satisfy us and fulfill us. And Romans 1, 26 to 31 kind of describes what has happened to humanity because of that. It says, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Uh, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And as I read these next three verses, in your mind, just circle which of these do you see all too frequently in your life. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of evil, or I'm sorry, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips. Did you talk bad about anybody this week? Slanderers? Did you cut anybody down? Haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Rebelling against God has just devastated our relationship with God and our relationships with each other. We are all on the same playing field. We are all sinners in need of the grace of God. And so then we get to the, the third the, the amazing part of the narrative. There's creation, there's fall, and then there's redemption, that, that God longs to rescue us from our rebellion, from his design. And, and the gospel so clearly shows that, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, one of the most significant arguments for the value of humanity is that God became one of us that God came through Jesus Christ and took on a human body 
that he pursued sinners like you and me who have gone far from God and who have broken and away from God's design. We're, we're sinful people. And yet, in spite of our sin, Jesus died for us. So Jesus offers us salvation uh, and rescue from our sins, not based on our performance, not based on are you going to be able to keep God's standards now from here on? Because if you are, then I'm going to die for you. But if you're not, I'm not going to die for you. It doesn't say that. Uh, our, our qualification for salvation by Jesus is not how good we are or our character. It's all grounded in his character. He's very loving. He's very patient. He's very gracious. And he died for you when you were a sinner. And so the gospel uh, is, is that amazing message that Jesus took our punishment, he took our shame, uh, he took our death, and he gives us life. And so the, the great equalizer this morning is that every one of us needs what Jesus Christ is offering us. We need through faith in Jesus to accept his forgiveness. We need new life. And then the second part of the redemption story is that he helps us become a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. We can be forgiven, and now our identity can be in Jesus Christ. Our identity doesn't have to be in ourselves or in uh, our accomplishments or our, our chosen lifestyle. Our identity is going to be ultimately in Jesus Christ. In fact, in Romans 8, 29, it says that's what God is doing. He's conforming us into the image of Christ. He's trying to make us more and more like Jesus. So the ultimate identity we can have is to be in Christ, forgiven by Christ, saved by Christ, our relationship with God restored by Christ. Jesus is our, our ultimate identity, to be identified in Christ. Next week, you guys, I hope you can make it. We have a guest speaker coming. He's Dr. Christopher Yuan. He's a Bible teacher in the Bible department at Moody Bible Institute. Um, but there was a season in his life where he lived as an openly gay man. And in that season of his life, he was also running far from God. And at a low moment in his life, he found and came across a Bible in a trash can and just started reading the Bible. And through reading the Bible and responding to the gospel, uh, Dr. Yuan now identifies as a man who has been forgiven by Jesus Christ, who is following Jesus, who is following the teachings of the scripture, and that God has flipped his life. He has a powerful story, and he, the, the reason we're bringing him here next week is to teach us uh, very clearly from, from the Bible, what does the Bible teach uh, about homosexuality, also to help equip us as a church to be a church that walks in grace and truth on all subjects. But I feel like especially on this one, the church has dropped the ball. There have been many signals that the church in the United States has sent to the LGBT community that says, we don't want you here. And that should be far, far from the truth. Uh, uh, we have been pursued and loved by God. And now we are called to do the same thing. So Saturday night, Dr. Yuan's here to do some training with us from six o'clock to eight o'clock or so. And then Sunday morning, he'll be preaching here. And his topic is holy sexuality, is to lift up God's design for sexuality and to proclaim it both through what God has done in his life and through the scripture. So I hope, hope you can be here, okay? So uh, redemption is gospel, new creation. And then we are loved to love. As being created in God's image, we are loved by God to love. And that love's gonna go two directions. Is that when you are loved by God, your love first will go back to him. And that's worship. That's, that's loving him. And so 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. The love of Christ controls us because we are convinced of this, that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live 
should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And so the ways we show God that we love him is through our worship, through giving him our attention, but it's, it's also through our obedience. And so the way you show God you love him, you, you, you understand his design, you understand his plan, is that you'll do what he's calling you to do. Jesus said um, that I will know that you love me by your obedience. Are you doing what I say? And so what's really powerful is I just think through um, the last couple years of my life, just people who I have seen uh, exchange the way they were living for the way God is calling them to live because of their love for him. Uh, Psalm 63, 63, 5, David says, your love is better than life. And so every one of us, again, a sinner in need of grace, every one of us has walked from God's design. But yet when we see God's design and trust him as a loving creator, uh, then we respond with obedience to that. So uh, couples that are, are not married but having sex, who then hear that God's plan for sex is that that's really reserved for marriage, uh, who out of love for God then say, I'm going to do what God says. A few years ago, I was doing some premarital counseling. I this an awesome couple. And we got to this conversation and just talked about God's plan for sex was to wait till marriage. And uh, the woman slammed the table in my office and said, dang it, but she didn't say dang it. And I just figured, okay, I'm not going to see this couple again. This is, and she said, why didn't anybody tell me that? that that's an amazing plan. I like that. And I was raised in Brand X Church, and we didn't hear that. Like, that's awesome. And, I, and so um, just in many areas, I think God is honored when we see his plan. We're convinced of his love for us, that his design is good. So we change, you know, with his help, we change how we live because we love him. So we're loved to love. We, we reflect love back to him by obeying him and worshiping him. But then we reflect his love to others, that we, we, we see others as being, uh, having dignity because they bear uh, the image of God. And so we are moved toward others to love them. And you look throughout history of the men and women that God has used heroically to step into these broken places like the slave trade in England that, that William Wilberforce moved into out of his conviction of God's love and God's design of every person being created in the image of God. I think about a lot of our ministry partners that we work with, like Rafa in Cambodia, rescuing girls uh, from human trafficking or Choices Medical Clinic here in our town, coming alongside women in an unplanned pregnancy and kind of lovingly walking through um, the, the, the truths we just talked about. Um, Faith Academy, the, the just, you know, the venture there to provide education and care for kids that might otherwise drop through the cracks. I think of a doctor this week uh, from uh, our church calling me just broken about one of his patients, a 26-year-old woman with nothing in need of medical attention, in need of living in Iowa City, and in need of somebody just kind of walking with her through how do you do life, how do you get a job, how do you just, but uh, you hear this woman's story, it's just devastating. But even just what would prompt this doctor to call and ask, what can we do? What can Parkview do? And that's a whole reflection of being loved by God to love, love others. I had two highlights in my week this week. Um, it's, I don't know, it's one of those weeks you kind of feel like you're in a funk. And uh, Lori said, well, okay, well, what's going good in your life? What's good? And so uh, two things I threw out. One is we just had teacher conferences at all my kids' schools, and my kids are not perfect kids. Uh, but every, I was just impressed. Like every, we sit down to talk to a teacher, and I don't know how you public school teachers do it, 
private school teachers do it, but out of the hundreds of kids who go, oh, you're Bethany's dad, oh, you're Hannah's dad, like, how did you know that right away? So, and the detail and the things they would say about, we're just blessed with the teaching we have here, but to hear little bits of stories from each teacher of, again, my kids are not perfect, but how they're dripping out the gospel and how teachers are catching it. And I know that's not because of their dad. They have an amazing mom. I'm just very thankful for Lori. So that was a highlight this week. I'm thankful for the teachers in our schools. But another one was, um, there's one of us that for the last year has just been battling huge things. Uh, I met this person praying up here about a year ago. And when I heard this person's story, it's just absolutely devastating. And this person has been battling uh, image issues like, um, am I worth anything? Does anybody love me? Does anybody care? And you keep coming back to these truths of being created with dignity in the image of God. And this week, um, on the, in a phone call, for the first time I can remember, I heard this person laugh a couple times. And I just said, did you, did you hear what you just did? You just laughed. And I don't know why that hit me in a fresh way, but maybe it's because of just talking about human dignity. But I want every one of you to know you have been created with amazing worth and dignity in the eyes of an amazing God who loves you. And I don't know what you're going through or what's beating you down, but you need to understand the truth that God is walking with you, that God loves you, that God longs to redeem you, rescue you from sin, uh, just overflow your life with his love so that you can reflect his love to the people around you that are equal bear, image bearers just like you are. Let me, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we're gonna need uh, your help in these next weeks as we navigate through a lot of these topics in deeper ways. I just pray you would just, throughout this series, really throughout our lives, keep us constantly reminded that we are sinners in need of grace. May that humble us and may that draw us to you. And God, would you constantly remind us of the love you have shown us uh, through the gospel, that, that our acceptance by you isn't based on our character performance, but it's based on yours. You are a God of relentless love and patience. And God, as we talk about these hard subjects in the weeks to come, would you draw every one of us closer to you as your image bearers, as your children, deeply loved by you. In your great name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.